Jacob, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a while back about a Jeep. So how's your Jeep? How's it going with your Jeep? It's been a while. You've gotten to drive it a little bit. So now the honeymoon's over. What's your thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Do you still like it? Or are you wanting another car? Okay. So it's been a journey. Are you strapped in for this? Oh, no. I got to put my seatbelt on. Hang on. Okay. So I get the Jeep July 4th. America's Mm -hmm. independence, my independence from an old car into something new and strong and rugged and a symbol of the great American West. Are Jeeps a symbol in America? Probably not, right? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know. They're an American company. Well, I know that uh, they got started in the war. That's not all I know. So they they at least have American history. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they, they did help. Yeah. At some point. Sure. Yes. Okay. Regardless, that's that doesn't matter for what I'm about to say. So yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I get the Jeep. It's awesome. Super cool. It's huge compared to what I'm used to, and it's still big to me now. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just large. It's a large vehicle. Cause it's a 2017 Jeep Rubicon Unlimited. So it's the the four-door. It has a it has a couple inches of lift. It's got thirty seven inch tires on it. I mean, it's a, it's a monster. I know. I need to come over and show it to you actually, because you'll be like, "What is yeah, this?" Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah it's it's mondo. But uh, so I get it and I drive it off, and everything's good. We're cruising around. We're taking the doors off. We're taking the top off. We're doing all the things that you do with a Jeep just to kind of learn it, feel for it, all the things in the summer heat of July. And it is hot. And it's still hot and it's never going to stop. We're just going to die. That's why if anyone hears a fan in the background, like usually I turn the fan off for the podcast, but like I can't, it's got to be on. So I I have, I have about four fans on. So my fan, my mic doesn't usually pick it up too much, but in any case, uh, driving the Jeep, the check engine light comes on. No way. I'm like, Oh no, this is only, this is like a week in less than a week. I'm like, ah, crap. But then there's also, I don't know if I told you this story. And then there's no, like I this, don't know anything about you, Jeep. That's why I thought I'd ask. There's this squeaking sound. Like it only happens every once in a while. It's not when I'm braking. So it's not brakes. But it's when I'm driving, like the loud squealing sound. Oh, and that's only, a fan belt. Well, hang on now. Don't get your oh, britches. Okay. Don't, don't, don't get ahead of your britches now. <laughs> that so, would be my first guess. Yeah. And so I don't know what it is. So I'm, I I have like the doors off and I have the top off and I go see my buddy. I'm like, I want to show him my Jeep. And so I drive over there. The, the check engine lights on. I stop <laughs> no. and they say I stop at the auto zone or whatever. And they say it's the O2 sensor. I'm like, right, oh, OK. Well. I'm like, all right, I can fix that. And then I go and I go to his house. and I'm like, hey, man, can you let's come come ride with me in the Jeep and see if you can figure out the squeaking sound? He's a car guy. And we go, and he ah. makes a pretty good educated guess after driving with me and kind of looking at it. It was uh, one of the, it wasn't the brake pad, but it was like the the metal piece that holds that. It oh, was, so it wasn't in the engine, it's in the wheel. Yeah, it was slightly bent. And oh, what it was doing okay. is every once in a while it was grinding against Yeah, it was like warped because piece. of the heat. 
Well, I don't know about that, but it was whatever it was it's was messy. Hot. Yeah, sure. Okay. The metal is bending because of how hot it is. <laughs> it's so hot here. That's what I'm thinking. The cars are melting. It's so hot you melt the metal. <laughs> Jet and fuel doesn't melt. Point. Jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, there's a correlation. It must be true. That's fine. So I call up. Uh, the guy who sold me the car and I'm like, Hey man, chicken July came on. This is happening. Can y'all help me out? Um, also the key was broke and I was like, what is this? And so they said, the sent- key's broken. Yeah. So they came out the, the, they had like this mobile vendor who came out, fixed the key instantly. That was fine. That took like a day. And then they had to schedule me in. So I drove in, they acted like that wasn't scheduled. So I ended up at this dealership, no less than a billion times. No, I'm just kidding. So I went in the first time they fixed the wheel thing. They're like, oh, we bent it. It was fine. Cool. But then the check engine light had turned off by the time I got there. And so they oh. said, I said, oh, it might have been just a glitch or whatever. You know, we, we do repair cars when because it was a used car. So like, you know, we fix things. The O2 sensor was one of the things we repaired. So if it comes back on, come back. On my way home, guess what pops on? comes <laughs> on. Yeah. So I go home and then oh, I basically no. I have to wait like a few days to go back. And I go back and they look at it and like, okay, we know it's the O2 sensor, blah, 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 but we don't have the part. So we're going to have to order it. Okay. So uh, go back. Well, and we so have it a, takes a like, part shortage. Yeah. So it takes like a week and a half. Uh-huh. They order it. They do it. They go put it in. Everything's good. I drive away. The check and engine, the engine light light comes, back comes back on. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. At this point, I'm getting frustrated, right? It's been. Um, it's been like almost a month. It's a brand new car. Well, not it's brand new to me. And there's all these issues. And I'm like, okay, I'm just thinking this isn't going to be fixed. So I text the guy who sold me the car. He's a cool guy. I say, dude, this is not working. Like, what are we going to do? Like they they keep fixing things and it's not working. Blah, blah, blah. Like, okay. So we're going to, we're going to send you to a different place. They have more, they, they work with, we're going to send you to an actual Dodge place because I bought it from a Honda dealership. Like, we're going to send you to a Dodge place, the Job Chrysler Jeep dealer. Yeah, they're going to actually and go they're, to the dealer. Yeah, they're going to be able to kind of analyze it better, but they partner with us, so don't worry about it. Cost is on us. Just go over there, get them checked out. So I go over there early one morning because I have to go to work. This is, this is before school officially started, but admin was back. I go there with my son. We jump, it's like 7 a.m. when I get there. We go in, they check it out. They're like, okay, well, you drove, so we have to let the O2 sensor cool down um, before we can check it. I'm like, okay, how long is that going to take? I'm like, well, it usually takes like two to three hours. I'm like, okay, whatever, sweet. So <laughs> I'm sitting there. So I'm sitting at this another dealership for like the fifth time, and my son's uh-huh. just having a blast. He's checking out all the cars. You know, he's doing whatever. We're there super early before anyone, and one of the managers walks in and lets my kid rev up like the Dodge Challenger. Oh, and stuff. that's awesome! They were really. We were there so much. The guy ended up learning my kid's name and giving him a hat later because there's more to the story. So I was oh, at this place a billion times, and so they check it out. They're like, okay, so it is the O2 sensor, but the problem was is that the other dealership only replaced one. There's two of them. Oh, okay. And they said, now, 
Well, yeah, I didn't know. And they say, well, we're going to order the parts from Jeep. So you have the actual ones that you need, but we're going to replace both of them. And so it's going to take a minute for the parts to come in. I'm like, okay. So I just wasted a whole day to do this. Well, you, you didn't. You did, but. Well, I mean, they, keep in mind, this is five weeks in. I've been well, in and yeah. out of dealerships this whole time yeah. with them trying okay. to fix things. And so I'm frustrated. Right. I'm not angry, just frustrated. I'm like, this is such a pain. Okay. Like, I'm just sitting here going, what have I got myself into? Like, the Jeep mm -hmm. is cool, but it's not this cool, right? Like, it's. <laughs> and so I end up back. And I'm like, I'm texting the guy who sold me the Jeep. I'm like, look, dude, they're telling me this or telling me that. I'm like, what, what are my options here? And he's like, you know what? He's like, you come in and, you know, we can, we can trade you out. And I think we can get you a good deal on something newer. And get you, get you hooked up, get you a good deal on something to where, you know, because of the frustration or whatever, I think we can knock some, the price off of some stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking about it. He, he brings up the Honda Ridgeline, which is a nice, like, mid-sized truck. He brings mm -hmm. up some other stuff and, you know, it's interesting. And I, I'm strongly considering it at this point. I'm literally sitting and I'm researching cars again. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's worth it. Like if I can just call this, say it was a nice experiment, move on and get myself, you know, a 2023 Honda Ridgeline truck or whatever. Move on something with 10 miles on it with as long as it doesn't raise my payments and doesn't have to put me too much in the hole. I think, I'm, you know, I might do it. And I think about it. And then I take my car and I go get it washed. And I just kind of take a Saturday to kind of take care of it. I'm like, man, I really love this Jeep. And, I, and my kid loves it because we want to take it off-roading. Like it's, like it's more of an experience for both of us, right? I see it as a father-son kind of bonding uh -huh. thing. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll wait. I'm not going to quit yet. So they finally get the part in. We take it in. We have to take, we take it there. They let me Uber back because I have to go to work. So they give me an Uber and I have to go back to work with my kid at this Uber and then all day they work on it and then they say it's done and I go back and they bring an Uber and then lo and behold, they finally fixed it. And my Jeep has been great ever since. Oh, there you go. But that was so that was like a week and a half ago and there's been no more problems, no more issues other than just used car issues, but nothing major. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been good. And so I've been slowly researching trails to go on and whatnot and finding looking for new things to do with my son and, and all these other things. So though that was a long, that was a 10 minute story to tell you it was a really complicated thing to replace, uh, to fix a brake thing and an O2 sensor two O2 sensors, but we're there and the Jeep is working swimmingly and I love driving it. It is a gas guzzler, which is new to me. I've never had a gas guzzler before mm -hmm. to this level, but you know, I look cool in it and a lot of people compliment it, which, you know, I love a good compliment. Well, there you go. <laughs> and there we are, everybody. Craft and Draft with Pam Ochoa. That's Jacob Chastain. So what are we going to be talking about today? And we're what's going about, on, Jacob? We're talking about cars the whole time. The whole time? Okay. Well, I mean, that turned out to be a pretty <laughs> fruitful uh, question because we have not talked about it at all. So yeah. I, didn't I had no idea. I no, I didn't know all of that. So yeah. there you go. So, now everybody does. Yeah, great. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes, Craft the Draft. This is a Reading and Write Workshop podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about that. That's what we're going to be jumping into today. And so last week, 
and kind of the theme recently with kind of our Patreon supporters and whatnot has been talking about what to do if the resources don't match workshop and everything else. And we thought it'd be an interesting conversation to flip that and go, what happens when you don't have resources? What happens if you're in a district that doesn't have really any curriculum, no resources to do? What if they've banned everything under existence and you have no access to basic things like YouTube? or certain search engines. What do you do as an educator when so many modern conveniences have been taken from you? So that's what Ocho and I are going to try to tackle today, what we would do if we were teaching that environment, maybe to help guide some of y'all who maybe this might be the case in rural areas, right? They might have less money. They might have less resources. Mm-hmm. Might be the case in a district that's going through contentious times and they're just struggling with how to get resources and whatnot. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Hopefully this is something that's going to help you and you know it's going to be a great discussion regardless. So stick around, even if that's something that you're not fully looking for, I think you're going to get nuggets of stuff here. But ladies and gentlemen, know that you can subscribe to this podcast that really does help us we release an episode every single week pretty much fridays and saturdays i say fridays and saturdays these days because we'll be over trying to get back to the friday we might as well just say we release them every saturday morning because that's really when i've been releasing them ocho did you know oh is it no no i didn't i i all i know is you say you got to have the blurb i send it to you asap and then after that Maybe, you know, we're getting closer I get a to back report on here and like, there. Like we're recording yeah. this a few days in advance, which is nice. So maybe we can go back to Fridays. I don't know. Stay tuned. Fridays and Saturdays well, for their Saturday notice. Saturday morning might be it. Yeah. Yeah, it just happens. It's just the way it goes. But regardless, you can support us also on Patreon. You get bonus episodes, bonus training videos, access to direct questions to us, and so much more. There's hours and hours of contents of us talking about stuff that isn't heard on free feeds. There's training videos. There's previous uh, live Zooms that we've done, and so much more over there. And the people that support us get that. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna. They all support us. They all get extra content, just like you can. So go to us on patreon.com slash craft and draft or go to craftandraftworkshop.com to find that link. If you can't do that, leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, come back every single week. That really does help us as well. But let's get to the conversation. All righty, Miss Ochoa. No resources. How common do you think this is? Do you think, do you I think, think it's, that it's more common to have too many resources or more common to have too little? Too little. I think that's probably your most common situation. Why? Money. Hmm. It's always, it always comes down to money. The dreaded And dollar. policies. Money and policies. Right now, I think it's getting to be, especially in the cities and what, what we've been facing, and I think it's more on policy, um, you know, different. I mean, the, uh, the, I guess there needs to be more strictness, I guess, on the content that's available uh, to the kids. It's so open now that it's difficult to control. So in fear of, uh, and, and with good, I mean, good reason, I'm not, I'm not against it, but at the same time, it's, it's that fear of letting our children, um, you know, accidentally maybe even on purpose come across content that's inappropriate for their age level and so it's too difficult to control some of the content so therefore there's more restrictions going on um i think yeah. i think our district uh, when we were there 
um, I was talking to somebody and they said that if you can get to something in two clicks, I think it's two clicks or three clicks. I think it's two clicks now. If you if they, they review the sites and if you can get to something within two clicks and it's inappropriate, then they block it. So I think a lot of times it's policy and uh, but I think money is probably also the situation in some places. Can we can we can we can we talk about this real quick? And I'm interested because you and I fall. I think we're aligned in a lot of ways, but we're also there's some areas where you and I I won't say we disagree, but we have maybe some nuanced opinions about it. Okay. and what some of this comes down to. So when it's it's a no brainer that schools need filters for content. Right. 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 So I have a story. It was on my man. I don't know if I ever had it on a podcast. I definitely had it in a private conversation with him. My buddy, Will Roosh. Um, he's, he's, he's got a big following on Instagram. I've had him on the teaching teacher podcast once, I believe. I think I've had, a, I've tried to have him on before that or again, but he's, he's gotten big. So he's, he's, uh, his time is limited, but I talk to him in private all the time. Like we just kind of chit chat and he's one of my favorite people in the educator space because he's, he's at, he's in a place to where he can kind of speak about anything without any consequences, right? He can question things. He can bring up controversial stuff. He can do all of this because he's, he's not really in fear for his job at all. And his whole brand is I'm not trying to push an agenda. I'm trying to question everything. And really unpack everything. And so okay. you can be listening to him and be like, oh, I agree. And then like three things later, you're like, wait a minute. What do you want? But he <laughs> he does it as like a almost like a social experiment slash intellectual experiment. And he's found good grounding from it. Um, but he's he's a passionate educator and he's very smart and he's very uh, compassionate. He, he's a very great guy. But one of the things he was telling me is he had an opportunity to work at a Bill Gates school. So one of the Gates Foundation's campuses that opened, you know, however many years ago in California. Yeah. Right. And he said what happened was, is they had all of this funding. They had all of this, the state of the art technology at the time, unlimited access, the, the best Internet, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened? They didn't do they didn't know how to run schools. And so there was no filters. There was no anything. And so what happens? Kids have you get these kids because they're, they're they put these schools in like these the communities that need better schools. Right. So a lot of these kids mm -hmm. don't have access to this stuff, stuff in general. So you suddenly give them access. And then what happens? They go do the worst things on the planet, right? You know, they're right. They're looking at dirty <laughs> websites. They're doing all of these things because they have access. Right. And it became this huge issue. And it caused all kinds of problems on the campus. And he was talking about that. And he was saying the solution to better education isn't just resources. He was like, I've seen that clear as day. If it was just resources, everything would be fine because we we have funding and we can get funding for resources. Anyone that's ever worked at a Title One campus that has grants and money and stuff, resources aren't the be all and all. They're good and they're great and they're useful. But resources without pedagogy, resources without uh, school culture, resources without positive and constructive leadership resources without uh evidence-based practices is just it's just useless right you can give mm -hmm. you can give tools you the, the power tools to a baby but if they don't know how to work it they're going to hurt themselves right like right or even adults and so you 
I, I've always remembered that in talking about this because a lot of the conversation around public education is we need more resources. We need more funding for this. But I've always found that to be kind of lacking in some sense and not in other senses. So as an admin, mm-hmm. for instance, like I've there's been a lot of things I have to face just on a budgetary level. Like we've had to make choices about classes this year just because of the, the budget we have. So funding affects classes, which affects the students, because you can only do so much with the budget you have and the funding you have. Right. So it does have that thing. But what also is the other limitation to that is policy. And I think a lot of people don't realize that is a lot of the restrictions that we have as admin. We're trying to circumvent uh, money problems or or, uh, resource problems is there's policies in place that limit us. Well, you can't do this because you can only have 28 kids in a certain class, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can't do this because you can't have this little of kids in class. Mm-hmm. Or you can't do this because you can't have, uh, you know, there's there's various other complications that are going in. And that is something I never really experienced until being an admin. And I was like, holy crap, like it's it's not a resource thing. It's not a funding thing. It's a how those things combine with policy. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a conversation that never happens. I mean, honestly, I mean, like, and it's difficult because we have teachers who are like, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Or I have I have resources, but I don't know what to do. And we end up. It, there's fundamental problems. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's such a stupid thing to say. There's fundamental problems in the educational system. Did you know that, Ochoa? I did not realize that. <laughs> Good Lord. They all say it. I don't see that it's completely solved. No, it's not. And that's where, like, it's nice to say we're going to bring more resources, more funding. That's what all the politicians say. You know, I had Miguel Cardona on, you know, the secretary of education on Teach Me Teacher. And that was one of his big talking points is, you know, we got to we're going to bring more resources. We're going to bring more funding. I'm like, OK, that's cool. But if policy doesn't change, you're not really doing anything. Yeah. And so to go back to the topic of the show and where I was kind of going with that is there's two branches to this. There's the funding and the resources and policy. But then you have this other side, which is connected to policy that where I was trying to connect it to, which is. There's policies that are state, there's federal policies, and then you have board Mm -hmm. policies, you have Mm -hmm. school policies. And if all of a sudden you get to this two click rule, it's like how what what an arbitrary thing to decide, like Mm -hmm. who decided that? What like what group of human beings decided two clicks is the amount of clicks that you can have before? If you know what you're looking for, you can find something bad in one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't, you know, and I don't, I, that was just really, that was a conversation I had about two or three years ago, might've been three years ago. And that was, and that was with our technology person. So I'm assuming uh, it's a policy that maybe the board has put in place or the director, or maybe they have a broad policy and it's how that policy is interpreted, interpreted. And so maybe the director decided to be very strict on it because they didn't want to get in trouble or they don't want lawsuits or etc. I mean, I have no idea, but it has made it more difficult because that's where, and that's what I told, you know, like, uh, 
I told our technology person, uh, our instructional technology person years ago, I say years ago, I'm talking about maybe about five or six, but the problem that I was having is I, I would learn how to do things, right? Because when it first, when all this stuff first came out, it was like, just explore and see what you can do because we don't know what this can do. And so I was, I was used to the freedom of finding stuff. And I mean, we were doing all kinds of neat things with technology and with the programs and it, you know, it was more like just, yeah. And I mean, I was doing stuff that nobody else was doing in our district at the time to the point where I actually presented to our school board about how much technology and why we need technology in the classroom. I actually presented a case to our school board to discuss it. I had business partners actually come to my room and watch the kids work with our technology stations that I had, the computer stations and and uh, the mapping systems that I had in place with my geography uh, things and the how we were using the computers to write and create brochures and etc. And back then I even took HyperCard, which is actually PowerPoint and Google Slides now, but back then you had to actually um um code your card so that they would do these things that naturally they do now with a button, but we actually actually had to actually code them to make our slideshows. So we were doing some stuff that was really fantastic. Well then like you're talking the the rules, the more that they can do, the more they could find, the more it got corrupted, the more uh, the people were tighter on us, if you will. And then next thing you know, I've got these wonderful projects that I had planned and then we get put it in place or I try to put it in place. We did it the year before. And now we're trying to in include increase. And they're like, no, nope, can't do that now. We had to get rid of that program because either A, the technology is updating every six months or something and so now we no longer support that that was off of a different grant or that was off of a different funding and we don't that funding we can't we can't support that anymore so we're no longer going to uh take care of your device so i know you have it in your all those computers in your classroom but we're no longer taking care of those but if you'll go ahead and take these classes and get on this we'll get you some all new ones but we're going to come and get those and i mean so then you're like then it just got so frustrating there for a while I really truly just worked off the blackboard that's why you see me when I mean I used to do all that technology but you know me on working all these me I just give me all these whiteboards give me a whole room of chalkboards give me a ladder so I can write on it you know because those don't go out of date I mean the chalkboard might but the whiteboard still you know, now we can magnetize it and I can hang stuff up on it. And so that's why you see me doing that because no matter what, they were going to give that to me every year. So I just got where I would work off of that. So, so that was, that's my frustration. Two things. One for a moment of clarity. Okay. I started off by saying, you know, schools need, restrictions on things they need all of those things right the the building mm -hmm. school is a good example you you give you know you you let the prisoners run the kingdom you know and then the kingdom becomes what the prisoners want right that's true i mean not, I'm not to say I... that children are prisoners but the the, the metaphor sticks or the, the right. analogy so regardless mm -hmm. um what happened when i went to the ron clark academy one of the biggest moments of my life 
uh, as an educator. I loved it. I, I thought it was a, a great example. I still think it's an amazing example. I think anyone should, anyone that can should go see the Ron Clark Academy. I think it is a right. highlight of what education can be. Now, they have a lot of things and they benefit from a lot of resources that a lot of people just don't have. There's less red tape around them for a lot of reasons. Um, now, there's, I think they still have to contend with stuff that people don't know. Like, they still have to have a certain amount of kids enroll from certain demographics they still do the state test at least they did when i was there they still took the the georgia state test and everything else so Mm -hmm. um there's things like that uh that a lot of people just discount but it's still you know it's a it's a far different environment than most people but i think you should go what happened though after i went there is i was like you know what i have to be bigger than life I'm going to do these big classroom transformations i'm going to spend money to do all of these huge things I'm going to uh, I'm going to create these massive experiences for my kids. And that's going to be what I do with teaching. And I did that for a while and it was really good. And I got a lot of benefit from doing that. The kids got a lot of benefit from doing that. And then what happened? I started really diving into, okay, so this is nice, but what do I want my kids to do more? I want them to read and write more. So how do I do that? Okay. So we have to start focusing on reading and writing workshop. Okay. And once I started doing that, those plans, I still loved them, but they started falling away a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I started doing less of those. And then I started doing less stuff that required a bunch of resources. And then eventually my class became two notebooks, a mini lesson with a passage, Mm -hmm. a book and a journal. That was it. But I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, but. You're right. And that's pretty much what mine looked like. Of course, I wrote all over the wall. But the thing is, is the kids enjoy your class. Yeah. And they, they enjoyed both, right? They enjoyed the big stuff. But mm-hmm. my kids learned more in the second version. Oh, okay. I had more growth having two journals, a model text, independent reading and independent writing that I ever had doing these huge lessons with all of these resources using all of these programs and everything else. When I simplified and I got rid of all the things, even though I like them, I was like, what can I do this? I got so addicted to it because kids were learning. They weren't overly stressed about the lessons. The mini lessons were so focused that kids were able to read something and model it. I did so many mini lessons that if I didn't catch them that day, I was going to catch them the next day. If I didn't catch them that day, I'm going to catch them the next day. They practiced so much because I wasn't doing all this other fluff because they were independently reading 25 to 30 minutes a day. They're independently writing for 25 to 30 minutes a day. And that's all I needed. I could teach my reading and writing workshop class today, bare minimum, with a text, a book, a journal. And a pencil. Yeah. That would be my class. I don't need anything else. If I didn't have it, right? Apocalypse happens. Nuclear warfare is in full form. Well, don't say that. We don't need to hear that. We're living, we're living in radiated huddles in the ground. (laughs) We are not. So don't even we do not need that. Do not. No, 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 no. And you give but me. Other than that, I have an lost everything because of policies. I have right, an old text. No, this is we're in, we're in the end times. I have an old I have an old book of 
let let's pick something. I have 1984 in my hand. I have I have as I lay dying in my hand. I have great expectations in my hand. I have uh, yeah. what is it? Long way down by Jason Reynolds in my hand. Whatever, whatever the book is, I can teach a kid with that book something to write with and something to write on, and that's it. That's all I need. I don't even need the paper if I need to. We can write in. We can write in chalk. Right. And that to me is I think that is the fundamental pieces that when you think about like having no resources, think about it's like, okay, so what do you need to learn? How do you make the most basic things able to learn? One of the things I love to go back to Ron Clark to give him a different insight is for people that have read his book. uh, What's his big one? Oh, my God. I'm going to hate myself for not remembering this. You're not talking about his 55. Yeah, the essential 55. There we go. Essential 55. In, in that book, he talks about kind of like how he developed like some of his more creative stuff. And he talks about, you know, working in Brooklyn and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. He was like, he was like, okay, so how do I get these kids excited about math? How do I get them to even care about this? He's like, you know what? I'm going to say you got to run outside to that sidewalk and there's a math problem out there. And guess what? You got to write it in chalk and you got to do us. He had chalk <laughs> and concrete, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he also did one with balloons and he was like, you know what? You're going to get this problem right. And the moment you get it right, you get to blow up this balloon and sit on it. But until you get it right, you can't do that. A balloon and a math problem, right? Like he, that's what Ron Clark, like now he, his ideas are so big and he has so much money. He can do whatever he wants. Right. But his ideas are the same. It's how do you create something magical out of the mundane? And I think English teachers, especially workshop teachers can do this in spades because not only can we do this with a whole book you don't need a whole book you can do it with a text you don't need a text you can do it with a sentence Mm -hmm. you don't need a sentence you can be ochoa and do it with a word (laughs) and create a whole lesson out of a word right and that to me gets me excited it's no longer the flash the flash is cool the flash is awesome i think the flash has its place but if you can create literacy if you can increase how someone feels about their reading and writing lives with a freaking word throughout a week lesson, you're golden. Like that to me is the epitome of teaching. Can you tell I'm excited, Ochoa? <laughs> showing. <laughs> it's showing. No, I agree with you. And I mean, I think, um, and so that, like I said, out of my frustration, I pretty much went back to, just like you said, and and I didn't simplify it like maybe for the same reasons you did, but I, I can tell you that I well, let me just say this, you know, because I taught a lot of different subjects, and so I've been cleaning, so you know, I've been cleaning out some things, I've been going through some boxes and stuff like that, and so I came across all of these notebooks that I did that my kids did years ago, and it was all um, it was their geography notebooks and you could see where they wrote the notes on one side and then they experimented and did things and drew maps and everything on the left side and uh and their notes on what they learned and stuff like that and it was just really kind of fascinating kind of look back over it and that's really all I had so we didn't really have maps because I ended up because I taught English as well when I taught these kids they didn't give me the maps because I was an English room, not in a history room. So we actually created our maps and I would, you know, we would go and find them, but I didn't have the big wall maps and things like that, which I love those, but I didn't have those. So I would go and find 
uh, maps kind of blow them up into posters and things like that. And the kids would actually create their own maps. So they would have their own maps in front of them and they would draw those out. So it was just kind of neat, but it was, like you said, it was a pencil, it was paper. And one of the thoughts that I had earlier when we were talking about this is I was thinking that really paper is, I think I would just, I'm, I'm good with having a lot of paper. I mean, I think if, I could do a lot with paper. We, um, yeah, you don't even need journals. Like I said that, but yeah. paper is where it's at. Yeah, but I meant journal too. I mean, I like the journal because you keep it all in one spot. But but if I want to do a, a demo or if I want to do anything like that, we can do it with paper. I mean, we can fold the paper. I, I create, I, I would have the kids create pop-up books and, and books that slide. And I mean, all different kinds of stuff that they would, if they, if to get the tactile part of it, uh, you know, I can do a lot of things like that. So um I, I found some books that we did where the kids did pop-up books and it was, they would take their story and they would illustrate it with a pop-up, you know, so we would create children's books and things like that. And then we would uh, maps and things and we would do biomes. When I did uh, science, we would chain together proteins and all kinds of stuff. We could chain together sentences, you know, all different types of things that way. So um, so you can do a lot of manipulation, a lot of things where you could even, uh, write out paragraphs and separate them and then have the kids put them together and then write their own and analyze. And, you know, so definitely, uh, paper Xerox machine, those types of things. I don't think they're limited for the most part. Right. So, you know, I think I would just take, look at what I have and, and definitely, figure out a way to to be creative with that but i do think kids need tactile type things and i think that's what the paper is for that's what the pencil's for uh of course you know me i like to color code the sentences things like that so so i give them a visual and and uh things like that so i just love i could teach with just paper and like you said a book and and notebooks and that's so, about all i need <clears throat> Here's, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. So we lost the ability to fund some of the plagiarism checkers in our district. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So turnitin.com, like all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. And a lot of our teachers were, they were like, oh, what do we do? What, like, what do you mean we can't check for plagiarism, right? And it's a valid concern, especially at the high school level, mm -hmm. right? When you're talking yeah. like academic yeah. essays, when you're talking AP essays, all that stuff that mm -hmm. is a little different. It's a different world, right? Um, mm -hmm. I understood and I told them, I was like, well, let's think about this like as a team. And so like I just kind of asked questions. I didn't I knew kind of my answer, um, but I, I wanted them to kind of come with them because I, I really do try to, you know, I try to model what I believe a leader should be, which is my answer isn't always the answer that should be with the team. The answer that should be with the team is the one that works for where we're at and with everyone that's doing the actual work. Right. And so sometimes like we decide on stuff that I don't necessarily am full gung ho about, but it's working and we're doing great. So I side with that. But we had this conversation and we kind of went through it and it was so magical. And this is just speaks to the amazing educators at our campus. And I really do believe that is they came to the conclusion. They were like, you know what? We need to go back to paper a little bit. And it was so huh. funny 
because it was all, you know, because they were still, you know, COVID, you know, the, it went all through Mm -hmm. the Chromebooks and then everything was digital and then naturally Mm -hmm. turnitin.com became that. And then it became, they raised their prices, right? Because all these digital companies, as I keep saying, these digital companies that act so nice are not so nice when they hook you and then they raise their prices. It's all a Mm -hmm. scam. That's a different soapbox. (laughs) But they, uh, they were like, you know what? The best way to do this is to have them write on paper and draft on paper so we can track where they're at over time. And then once I know that they've kind of done the work, then they can type. And I was like, that sounds like a familiar process, <laughs> man. I wish. And, you know, obviously I don't push craft and draft on them because it's it's ours. And, you know, I talk about it every once in a while, but I generally don't push it. Uh-huh. Because I, just, I think it comes off in the wrong way. But um, it's so funny, though, because that's why you and I do this podcast. That's why yes. we talk about what we do is because there's. The flashy stuff is nice. And we've always said that. We always said that this podcast and what we're doing, we're not interested in the mass appeal. Now, if we get the mass appeal, that's great, right? If people stumble across Craft and Draft and it gets a huge audience and attracts, you know, thousands and thousands of people, obviously that's a great thing. But we've always known that the the flash of what we talk about just it's not the flash of what we talk about is in the practice. It's in the research. Mm -hmm. It's in the, the art of teaching. And what we talk about is a process to get kids to think deeply about the text that they are reading, to think deeply about what they want to say, to think deeply about how they want to say it and to work with the teacher as a mentor to hone that over time. And what it was so interesting to see these high school teachers who are all amazing in their own right go, you know what? Hmm. We can't check for plagiarism. So how do you do that? I guess we should have them write by hand. Right now. That's not going to get rid of everything. Right. A kid can still plagiarize that way, but it's a lot harder. There's Mm -hmm. and that's what it's all about. Like when you're talking about like mitigating behavior and this is something I have to think about as an administrator all the time, just (laughs) in a tangential way is you don't control bad behavior by outright banning. You can't just say you can't do that. You have to come up with systems that mit- that make it more challenging to do the wrong thing. doesn't mm-hmm. mean people won't do the wrong thing, right? If you're trying to get kids mm-hmm. will always find easier routes to do things. Kids will always find a way to cheat. Kids will always find a way to kind of circumvent the system but you're not concerned with getting a hundred percent of these kids because it's impossible. What you're concerned with is getting the vast majority of students to find value in the work. And so you have to create systems that make it easier to just do the work than to cheat. Like I'm a firm believer in that statement. Like, is it easier to cheat in your class or is it easier to just do the work? And I think in (laughs) workshop, if you set it up in the right way, and if you're monitoring your kids, if you're conferencing every single day, Mm -hmm. it is far easier just to do the dang work. It's far easier just to read. It's far easier just to write because you're getting rewarded for it. The class is built around that piece rather than, okay, everything is reliant on this product. Okay, well, that's fine. I can cheat then. It's easier to cheat than to work on this one single thing for five weeks. And mm-hmm. I think that gets lost a little bit. I don't know. What do you think about that? No, I've always said that. Uh, actually, I, I never really used some of those programs, the turn it in and all of that, because I didn't need to, as far as checking plagiarism, because my kids write in the room. 
I watch them write. I sit down with them. I see their writing. They ask me to read their writing. I read their writing. I read it as a, you know, they come to me in a conference and they're like, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm struggling with my thesis statement. I don't know how to make this paragraph work with it. Well, let's look at it. Do we need to get rid of the paragraph? But I, I was there when they wrote it. I saw it. I see it developed. I use my craft and draft books, I, especially the draft book there where they, on that left side, I can see some of the thinking that they've been doing, trying to make this thing better, this piece of writing better. And I know how it begins and how it ends. I know when it changes. And that's because I'm sitting and facilitating with them as they work through the process. And because they're working through the process, I don't have to worry when I get something, I know if it's been made up or not, because I'm not saying this never happened, but because I know what the student was writing or not writing, like the students that are writing very little, and then all of a sudden they turn in this wonderful, masterful piece that mom wrote for them. Well, I got news. I know they didn't write it. So what do I say? I'll say, let's say it's you, Jacob. And I'll say, well, Jacob, I need to see all of that work. Where's where's your pre-writing? Let me, let me see the pre-writing. And then if you, you can't produce the pre-writing, why? Oh, you lost your notebook. Well, I didn't ever, you had your notebook yesterday. So I didn't see the pre-writing yesterday and I told you to write the pre-writing yesterday. So I can't give you credit for this. So let's, Let's go back. Let me, here's a journal since you lost yours and let's start over. And I mean, to tell you, like you said, it's easier for them to actually do the work to begin with, yeah. keep up with their journals or their notebooks. And that's been how I've treated it all these years, sixth grade, all the way up to, to high school. And I, yes, I have kids who have tried things, but I typically can find it very, you know, some of them go, why don't you just do the work? You know, she's going to know. I mean, I've actually heard those things said, you know, and I've even been told I was hated, you know, how they write in the back of the the book and they say, you know, I hate myself. Tell her she makes me do it. And so why did you write that? Well, because I don't want to do all the work. I have to do the work when I come to your room, you know, so I've, I've gotten things like that. But for the most part, my kids, they do well. They know they're going to do well. They end up doing well. And I can't tell you how many of them come back and say, thank you. And I've had a lot come back and say, thank you. I really have over the years. And I think it's because, and, and I've had several that would say, I learned so much under you. Well, it's not because of my teaching, as far as like me just giving them knowledge, it's because they, like you said earlier, they think about the problem. They think about what they're reading. They, they figure out a way to justify what they're reading and they, you know, they, they respond to it. And I respond to them. And I think because that they feel smart. I was talking to some, one of our friends the other day that you and I have together and, and uh, we were, we were just talking about teaching and all of that as I do most of the time. And, but uh, one of the things we said was, you know, the kids want to feel smart and they like being smart. And if you can help any child, especially those who don't feel that smart, feel smart. If you can, by, by letting them think about that word, you know, that's why that one word you're talking about earlier works because 
let's just use my word, you know, the relish. It's not my word. You know, Ray Bradbury used it in dandelion wine and then he used it again in all summer and a day. And then, you know, you can see relish the day. And so we talk about that, you know, and there's relish in the pantry and, you know, all those types of things. What, what does that mean? We put it on our hot dogs. Why is it called relish? So you take that. Well, when the kid is finished with that little word study and they've read, the, read it in this poem they've read it in that piece of writing and they see it in the grocery store well guess what they've got some knowledge there that's tied to other knowledge that they already know and then they feel smart and because they feel smart they want to feel that again to me that is your number one thing that you can do for a kid and so if I have a really smart kid and believe me I've had I've been a GT specialist to the point where all I taught was GT kids. A few years, I had some kids that were reading at a college level. Like we had to get permission to get college level books for some of my kids. I mean, when they're reading the psychology of blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm telling you, I've had some pretty smart books, uh, kids (laughs) books. But anyway, pretty smart kids in my classroom. They're like seventh grade reading things like that. But here's the thing, you got to give them the opportunity to increase that knowledge. So you got to figure out a way to enrich them. And so the best way to do that is to get them reading, get them writing, get them exploring their own thinking, validate their learning and help them feel smart. And and I just think to me, that's that's my secret sauce. I want to say one thing to that one I I believe all of that I'm not going to repeat all of that because I think it's it's a great thing we did a PD my last story of the night okay my first year I was trying to find his name I'm friends with him on Facebook um I'll have to figure out I forget his name but he came and he was one of our oh I do know his name hang on hang on hang on hang on Hang on, Tom. See, you can tell none of this is scripted. <laughs> yeah, his name's Tom. Oh, no, Tom. Oh, Hayek. okay. Mm-hmm. He is a he is Hyatt Consulting, right? He does professional PD. So if anyone's listening to this that needs someone to does PD, uh, go reach out to him. He's amazing, and tell him I sent you. But uh, he came and did a PD for us, uh, my first year of teaching. And it was hilarious because he had all of us do like it was like math problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And he had us in groups and there was like, you know, each of us was assigned a role or whatever. And he did like these kind of like hard, like counting problems, essentially. Right. Like it was just difficult, like memorization. And they were really they were hard. And he did like four of them in a row. And like, you know, some groups did decent, but most groups were like, what? I don't even know what's going on. Right. Like we started giving up. And then he did a really easy one that was like, okay, so here we go. And he did it. And then everyone's like, oh, we got this. And so everyone did it. And so all the groups got energized and we're like, boom, we got it. And he goes, what I need you to do when you go into your class this year is that feeling you just had about being smart. You need to make every kid feel that way. Because what I just asked you to do was so basic. (laughs) 
But in the context of what we were doing, you felt energized because you could actually do it. He was like, mm-hmm. that is your job as an educator. He's like, you're yes, you need to challenge. You need to push. You need to do all of those things. But if your students always feel like they're being beat down by your content, by your teaching, by your uh, approach, they're never going to learn from you. And I've always remembered that. And that's why, like, I've always that's why I think I've loved workshop because it opens it up to when, you know, or or Jeff, like not even workshop. It's like Jeff Anderson's like, you know, what do you notice? I noticed there's a comma there. Great job, kid. You identified a comma. Exactly. And and going from there, but being able to the the practitioner, I think this is where we get lost, Ochoa. Okay. The the (laughs) the (laughs) practitioner. You can tell I'm back with kids, right? And I'm back with teachers. It gives yeah. me it gives me a lot more uh, to think about. But the practitioner mm-hmm. of the the educator, what it means to be a practitioner of education, it 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 comes down to you. Be it's not about are you asking these types of questions. It's not about are you doing this type of thing. It's not about are you using the new most advanced program and the new regimen. It's about how well are you able to adapt to see where your kids are in that moment and teach them to get to whatever the next level is. That is teaching. Right. And I that doesn't require resources. It doesn't require the most fancy technology. It doesn't even require Wi-Fi. It requires your ability to know what the heck you're doing and to listen, gather information, and move them to the next step. And I think sometimes that sounds daunting. I think that's why we lean so hard on these programs and everything else is because sometimes I feel like that's a little heavy for us. But we got to remember, we're smarter than them. Right? Like, we went to college. <laughs> like, we did all of these things. You don't have to be the most the intelligent. Expert. Right. You don't have to like this is what with, with writing, right? A lot of teachers are like, well, I'm not a good writer. You're a better writer than they are, right? You're a better writer than your fourth graders, your sixth graders. Um, and so it, it really just comes down to that piece. It's like, what are you doing as a teacher to move your students? You don't need all the resources in the world. You don't need the most advanced technology. Make your kids feel smart. Get them engaged by feeling successful. And then push them. And then I bet you a million dollars, if you repeat that process over and over and over again, doesn't matter what resources you have, doesn't matter what you have in your classroom, your kids are going to learn and they're going to love your class. Mic drop. Boom. And that is it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. That is Craft the Draft. That is Pamela Cho's Jacob Chastain. Look at that. We went from Jeep. We, we went all over the place. I love a good episode like this. This is what we do here. We love to jump around to all the things. But more importantly, we love to answer questions from you guys. So if you have a question, send it to us. You can DM us at craftsdraftworkshop.com. You can DM me directly if you follow me on Instagram or somewhere else. But the best place to DM us is over there on the Patreon page where you can support us monetarily to get bonus episodes that no one else hears. Literally, Hours and hours of bonus episodes, bonus training videos, and so much more. Just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all have. They support us, and a lot of them have been supporting us for a long time, so thank them. Come join us. Get your feet under you. Come join us. Ask some questions. We've been talking about doing some PD. Uh, we're going to do something up here coming soon we didn't want to do a back to school pd because we've done that before so we'll get you guys nice and wedged in and then lo and behold i bet we'll be getting something down in september but stick around for that subscribe if you haven't already leave a review if you haven't already come back for next week for another conversation know that we are here for you